Those volunteers, they're going into their homes of people living with ALS on a very regular basis. So they've developed pretty deep relationships with the people that they help. Hello, hello, everyone. You are listening to Connecting ALS. I am one of your hosts, Mike Stevenson, coming to you from St. Paul, Minnesota. And I'm joined by my brilliant and talented co-host on the East Coast, Mr. Jeremy Holden. Good day to you, Jeremy. How are things at the ALS Association's national office? Pretty good. Off to a good start so far this week, although now I'm a little bit anxious that I have to appear brilliant. You set me up for... <laughs> that happens. Yeah. It comes out of you organically. No worries about that. We got a great show for everyone this week. Many of you are probably aware that this is National Volunteer Week, and it is usually a perfect time to recognize and appreciate all of the critical and selfless work volunteers do year-round in support of organizations like the ALS Association. But of course, like most all aspects of life, the pandemic is changing the way we volunteer. And in most cases, making it a challenge to volunteer at all in, in ways that many of us are used to. So for this episode, we thought we'd take time to talk to a couple of individuals very much involved in the world of volunteerism to get their perspectives. And first, Jeremy, you had a conversation with Sarah Leto of the Iowa chapter of the ALS Association about how they are engaging with volunteers during the pandemic. And she had some interesting info to share. She did. Some great programs that they are rolling out to try and turn lemons into lemonade, I guess is the expression, and really figure out that they've got these volunteers that want to stay engaged with, with the community that they serve and figuring out a way even in quarantine, to make sure that their volunteers can serve that community. Some really interesting things they're doing out there, but of course not sidestepping the fact that it's a real challenge and something that, you know, she, she talked about some of the trends that they had been seeing in terms of growing their volunteer base and some concerns about what that's going to look like on the other side of this quarantine. And really ways that organizations are getting creative and engaging volunteers and creativity has been a theme, I think, for so many in the working world these days of finding creative ways to continue working, to connect with others, to stay involved in your community during a time when social distancing and quarantining is very much real for a lot of us. After you spoke with Sarah, uh, we then had the opportunity to chat with Dr. Nathan Dietz from the University of Maryland. And Dr. Dietz is part of their Do Good Institute and has spent much of his career researching volunteerism and its impact. So we were fortunate to hear his thoughts on how COVID-19 is changing the way that we volunteer. Yeah, that's right. And I think you touched on it, Mike, that so much, uh, so many aspects of our life are changing in the short term and a lot of talk about what are the long-term implications of that. A couple of weeks ago, we talked specifically about telehealth and the way that this might kind of revolutionize the way that fits into our healthcare delivery system on the other side of the quarantine are some of the ways that organizations are being creative around volunteerism. Does that have similar kind of long-term changes to volunteerism two, five, ten years down the road? Mm -hmm. and, and Dr. Deese was able to give us uh, some of the information on trends. I'm always interested to hear research trends in the short term and the long term, and that data is, is so valuable to study. And, and uh, I thought it was a great, a great interview. Two excellent guests, really, to share with the audience today. Let's start first with that Sarah Leto interview. We are joined today by Sarah Leto, Engagement Coordinator at the ALS Association's Iowa Chapter. Uh, Sarah, thanks for being with us today. Well, thanks for having me. Sarah, 
tell us a little bit about what you do. What does an engagement coordinator do? As the engagement coordinator, I coordinate all of our volunteer efforts for the chapter. So I'm not only coordinating volunteers for events, but we also have a volunteer family assistance program where volunteers help people living with ALS in their homes with housework, yard work, errands, visiting, playing cards with them. So I'm also working to match volunteers across the state with people living with ALS to help with daily living tasks. Additionally, I've been with the chapter for a long time, and I performed a variety of roles. Prior to being the engagement coordinator, I was the development director, but I was asked to take the place as interim executive director a couple times, and I've done a number of care services projects and activities as well. So bottom line is I've seen throughout the eight years I've been here all of the different activities going on in our chapter. And when I stepped into the engagement coordinator role, I was able to look back at that and figure out, okay, how can we utilize volunteers so we can make the jobs easier for the people that work here, but also allow them to do more with their time. So when I find a volunteer to help them, you know, I don't think they're like, oh, sweet, I'll take off early today and go watch Netflix. What is actually happening is they're able to focus more on the mission-based aspects of their job instead of the day-to-day things that a volunteer could help them with. So we're able to really move our mission forward through volunteerism, which is awesome. And that started four years ago when I stepped into the role of engagement coordinator. Okay. It sounds like you're very busy. So I want to thank you even again for your time. And I'll try not to take too much of it today. You talk about volunteerism and really trying to help lean into that. We're bringing this conversation to our listeners during National Volunteer Week. But we're also bringing this conversation to our listeners in the midst of, of course, the COVID-19 pandemic. And obviously, in many states and in many neighborhoods, social distancing is the norm now. What impact is that having on volunteerism? What are you seeing in terms of the COVID impact? Oh, it's had a really big impact on our chapter and volunteerism in our chapter. You know, the volunteer family assistance program that I spoke about earlier that we completely had to suspend in the middle of March. And for those of you listening that don't know this, people with ALS do not have a compromised immune system. However, the muscles that surround their lungs and help them to breathe might be weakened. And that makes it so they're not able to cough as thoroughly as maybe you know a person without ALS. And so the gunk that builds up in their lungs from an illness like COVID-19 Whereas it would be, you know, like serious for a person without ALS, it could be fatal to a person living with ALS. And so the people that we serve, they've really had to shelter in place and not have contact with the outside world in order to protect their health. And so with our volunteer family assistance program, those volunteers were going into their homes And we wanted to make sure that we were protecting the people that we serve. And so we had to suspend that program. We did ask our volunteers to continue to check in with them via phone and email, and in some cases, snail mail. But unfortunately, we had to suspend all of the activities that they were helping with. Additionally, we're not in our office anymore. We're all working from home. So all of our administrative volunteerism has been halted as well. And we're, you know, obviously hoping to pick that right back up when we're able to come back to the office to work. But I would say for the most part, volunteerism as we knew it, let's say a month and a half ago, has been flipped on its head. Yeah, and I want to come back to that in a moment, how it's been flipped on its head and potential to flip it back on the other side of this. But 
First, I want to go to some of the creativity. You mentioned the the check-ins, having those volunteers touch base, even if they can't go to the home. What are some of the other creative ways that you're seeing volunteers engage and continue to serve their communities? Well, that's a wonderful question because we came up with something that I thought was really fun. You know, like I said earlier, the people living with ALS that we serve, they have really had to isolate themselves more so than, you know, ever before in order to prevent contracting COVID-19. And that can be really lonely. I mean, a lot of them, it's just, you know, them and their spouse, or sometimes they live alone. And so we just really wanted to figure out as a chapter, okay, well, we can't serve them through having a volunteer in their home right now. Well, what are some ways that we can help them? And one of the things we thought of was that social isolation, isolation and how we could combat that. And so we came up with a pen pal program and I targeted the local elementary school in my area to try and figure out, is there any, are there any kids out there that want to have a pen pal? Or maybe I should say, are there any parents out there that want a project for their kids? <laughs> and then I also did outreach to all of the people we serve and said, who here wants a pen pal? And we had a handful of people sign up for the program on both sides of the coin. And I've matched a handful of kids with a handful of people living with ALS to write letters, send artwork. And my kids, actually, we have a family here that they live about a mile from us. And so we've kind of taken them as our pen pal and we've been sending them letters and things like that. And it's been awesome. Oh, I love that. That's amazing. Sounds like a great program. What are you hearing from volunteers? Well, the volunteers that are part of our volunteer family assistance program I still am in contact with them. I do a monthly check-in and it's just a real, you know, tone of sadness because the great part about this program is that those volunteers, they're going into their homes of people living with ALS on a very regular basis. So they've developed pretty deep relationships with the people that they help. And so to cut that off completely has definitely, definitely caused some sadness on the part of our volunteers and the people that they help. So that part is sad, but they I know they are checking in with them, and I think that's very much appreciated. As far as the pen pal program goes, everybody so far has been really excited about it, but it's only been going for about a week. So I'm not, you know, I'm not sure if it'll die out toward the summer, you know, as people get more active and things like that or want to maybe take a break from schoolwork and things like that. But so far, so good. It's been, you know, like I said, it's something that was pretty well received, especially by those parents who are looking for projects for their kids. Absolutely. You mentioned earlier about how volunteerism as we knew it maybe a month ago has been flipped on its head. What long-term impact do you see on volunteerism as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic and some of the barriers to volunteering that we're seeing right now? Well, obviously you can't have face-to-face volunteers and so much of the work we've done in the past has been face-to-face. You know, I wish I had a crystal ball and I could tell you when this is going to end, but I think, you know, asking about the impact is a direct corollary of when it's all going to be over. And we just don't know that. But I do think that when do things start getting back to normal, we are going to see a slower uptick to getting to that level of volunteerism where we were before. Our volunteer program, you know, with me and the engagement coordinator role started in 2016. And that's when we began documenting the hours of volunteers for our chapter. And it's grown and it's grown and it's grown every year. And finally, this past year, we kind of hit where we might call our plateau, where, you know, without significant program change for our chapter, we probably won't grow the hours that much further. 
but we probably won't drop down either. And I think what we're going to see now is a significant decline and maybe a couple years to get back up to the level where we were before. Yeah, I think we all wish we could have that crystal ball that you mentioned, but I'm sure that you will get back to that number sooner than maybe you think. What else is going on? What are some other things that you're finding in terms of ways to engage volunteers? Well, another thing that's been going on in, you know, definitely in Iowa, and I'm assuming across the country, is groups of people and individuals mobilizing to make masks for frontline healthcare workers. And I've seen this all over Facebook, all over the news. And about two or three weeks ago, I kind of, you know, had the idea, well, geez, there's all these people making masks. And that is something that could really benefit the people we serve. You know, a lot of the people with ALS that we serve, they're in a situation where maybe they're living with their spouse. It's just the two of them. The spouse can totally handle all of the caregiving that needs to take place. And so they might not need masks. But in other situations, we serve people who might have up to 10 or more healthcare workers coming to their home on a regular weekly basis in order to just keep them alive. And that's that's not something that they can say, oh, well, you know, I, I don't need my healthcare workers to come in anymore to prote- protect me or prevent me from contracting COVID-19. That can't happen. And so what we thought is in situations like that, what if we could tap into these groups of people that are making masks and get them into the hands of the people that we serve? And so there's this great group here in Iowa. They're called Masks for Frontline Iowa. And it's a Facebook group. And I just sent them a message and said, you know, here's what we're looking for. I don't know how many we need. Maybe we could start with like 50. And could you help me out? And boom, within a week, I had 60 masks and I got another 60 that I picked up yesterday. And we were able to get those out to our initial kind of batch of people asking for masks. And so that felt really good to be able to tap into skills-based volunteerism to help support the people we serve, even though None of us can be around each other face to face. So that was all kind of done over the, you know, over email, over Facebook, over phone, connecting with the people that are making the masks that are skilled enough to do that because that is not me. And then mailing all of those out. I mailed out my first batch on Monday and it was something like, you know, 55 masks went out in the mail and it felt really, really good to know that I was still able to do something to help the people we serve. That's incredible. And it's good to see that technology being used for good. Another really great example of innovation in the volunteer space. Sarah Leto is the engagement coordinator for the ALS Association, Iowa chapter. Uh, Sarah, thanks again so much for your time today. Well, thank you so much for having me on. This has been a lot of fun, something to, you know, make my day a little bit different. Thanks again to Sarah Leto, the engagement coordinator at the ALS Association Iowa chapter for a fascinating look into some of the creative ways that they are engaging their volunteers during the COVID-19 pandemic. Yeah, Sarah, thank you. It was really nice to hear from you on that. Let's move now into our interview with Dr. Nathan Dietz at the University of Maryland. We are on the phone today with Dr. Nathan Dietz, senior researcher at the University of Maryland's Do Good Institute. Thanks for joining us on Connecting ALS, Doctor. Oh, thank you, Mike. So, Nathan, obviously you have a, a deep background in thinking about volunteerism, and I want to take a step back and look at the state of volunteerism heading into 2020. Where were we? What did the numbers tell us about how and where Americans were volunteering just a few months ago coming into this year? Well, the trends that we've been focusing on have been, in a sense, 
continuations where not that much has changed in the recent past. And by recent past, I mean maybe the past 10 years, going back to the mid-2000s or even longer than that. But in another sense, there have been, uh, there have been trends that have represented some change, and, and the trends are not positive. I mean, they're, they're kind of troubling, actually. What we noticed is what people have noticed in other areas of philanthropy, and people started commenting on this, I think, two summers ago, maybe the summer of 2018. On the one hand, like if you take donating money to charities, there's a, a big national report that comes out every year called Giving USA. And Giving USA calculates the, the grand total amount of money and resources donated to charities from all conceivable sources. And more often than not, last year was an exception, but more often than not, every year there's a new American record for the grand total that Giving USA reports. We're just constantly topping the record that was sent usually in the previous year. But at the same time, what you're noticing is the percentage of people who give to charity has actually been declining at a, at a pretty steady clip. So on the one hand, it's not really hurting the bottom line for the charitable sector because the total amount of money coming in is maybe most of the time it's a little bit higher than it was last year even. But the percentage of people who are willing to do this at all, to donate money to charities, if that's constantly declining, then you need to wonder about how sustainable this is. And what we've noticed is that volunteering ends up looking very similar in terms of those trends. On the one hand, for quite a while, for a stretch of about seven or eight years, we saw very little change in the total amount of hours contributed by volunteers, all adult volunteers, age 16 and over in the country. Every year, that total amount of service provided didn't change very much. But especially in the early to mid-2000s, we started, or 2010s, I'm sorry, we started to see some big well, statistically significant, I should say, declines in the percentage of people who did any volunteering. And the problem there is that the percentage of people who volunteered at all was never very high. It's only ever, it was uh, to drop below 25% of all adults in 2015. But in all the years before then, going back to 2002, when we started producing national statistics again for volunteering, the high watermark was only 28.8%. So it's not like we've ever had a very large number of, of adults who volunteered, but the percentage has been declining. So we worried about that. I think that's really the, the major trend that we've been thinking about. In a way, if you look at some of the bottom line statistics related to that, it doesn't really, it, it doesn't suggest that we're in big trouble right now because we don't see a big drop in the uh, total amount of service provided by all volunteers. And we don't even see a very big drop in terms of percentage points in the percentage of people who do any volunteering. It's just that the trend, like it is in giving, is moving in the wrong direction when it comes to people being willing to do this in the first place. I think you're touching on, you know, uh, topics that a lot of nonprofits around the country and around the globe really think about every year is that how, how are we going to continue to engage future donors and future volunteers? What do they want to hear from us? How do they want to interact with us so that we might bring them on board at some point and those future generations will give and volunteer. And that's something that I know the ALS Association is always approaching and, and thinking about as well as, as other nonprofits. And clearly now, Nathan, that we are dealing with this global pandemic and that is impacting most phases of our lives and social distancing has really made it challenging to volunteer in a physical sense, at least around other people in close proximity. What have you learned in terms of 
the impact that COVID-19 is having on nonprofit organizations that really rely heavily on volunteer support? Well, first off, I think we're now at the point where maybe every day you don't learn something that's brand new that you hadn't conceived of before. And for several weeks, starting in mid-March, that's the way it seemed to happen. I think there was just some brand new aspect of the impact of the pandemic that you were noticing or that somebody was pointing out. And then it made you reassess everything that you thought like the, the day before. So now I think one thing that we've heard or seen commented on just in general about volunteering is that the state requirements, the shelter at home, shelter in place regulations that we're all living under, it's not clear whether any or really any type of volunteering is permitted under those circumstances. I know that in Maryland, and I think in Virginia too, the governor has said that volunteer work that's done to provide essential services to people is permitted. You can go out and do that. But that raises a couple of questions. One is, uh, you know, which types of services actually are considered essential? People think of a food bank, and that would probably meet the definitions. But I don't know that there's a lot of detailed guidance out there about what types of volunteering would be okay to engage in and which ones you should probably wait until we're able to move around a little bit more freely. But the other big question is, how many of the people who organizations are used to counting on, the people who provide volunteer work, how many of them are going to be willing and able to get out of the house and go, uh, go back to help? I think that in a lot of cases, I imagine many organizations have probably seen their, their volunteer operations almost dwindle to next to nothing just because people don't feel free to get out and interact with other people at all. So they don't feel like the, that, that's, that's safe at the moment. So the question that I think of a lot of us are thinking about is how long is that going to last? How long is kind of the, the critical phase of this process going to take before people do start to come out and help a little bit more? And when some of the restrictions are lifted and maybe people feel like it's easier for them to get out and do more things outside of the house, how many of them are going to be willing to come back to volunteering and when will they be willing to do that? Those, I think, are the biggest questions right now. You know, first of all, are volunteers going to get into trouble if they start poking around, hoping for uh, a chance to get back to the places where they used to serve. And once some of the restrictions are lifted, how many people are going to be willing to actually do that? There are people who are looking at this as kind of a positive sign, because for a long time, there have been people talking about the need to have different types of volunteer opportunities available for people. The traditional format for volunteering is that people come in in the afternoons or in the evenings, and the type of volunteer work that's available for potential volunteers is whatever the organization, whatever types of volunteer opportunities and volunteer roles the organization wants to provide. And if they've always managed their volunteers in the same way, going back years, if not decades, then new opportunities for people to, to come over and, and help or to help an organization, they're not always available for people. So I think now people are looking at this as kind of an opportunity organizations are now finally going to need to figure out ways to promote maybe virtual volunteering where you do work for an organization online without leaving the house. And I hope that's happening. That's one thing I, you know, I, I hear people talk about the possibilities that are involved with that more than I hear people talk about this actually happening. So I hope it is. But one way or another, I think people are going to be facing a whole new menu of choices coming out of this, if and when we come out of this, in terms of volunteer opportunities, because some of the old ones are, some of the old ones might just not be available anymore, but probably some of the more enterprising organizations are going to look for new opportunities and new ways to engage people. 
Yeah, and we're, and we're hearing that in different aspects of our life, the way that our move to a kind of virtual reality, virtual living is going to have some long-term ramifications about how we interact with the world around us. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out in the volunteer space. Nathan, what is the long-term prognosis for volunteerism? You talked about some troubling trends the last several years, but what, what's the long-term prognosis? That's a really good question right now, not just because it's tied into uh, what society and community is going to look like, once the immediate threat of the pandemic is lifted a little bit, but also because I think we worry about this to some extent, at least from time to time, but I think a lot of us, a lot of people have felt in recent years that the ties that people feel toward their communities or toward American society in general, that they're maybe not as strong as we thought they were maybe even 10, 15 years ago. And that's a trend I think that we picked up in a report that we published at the end of 2018 called Where Are America's Volunteers? What we found is that, uh, and this was uh, number two in our series, what we found is that the declines in the, the volunteer rate, the percentage of people who volunteer, those were, for the most part, not driven by declines in the volunteer rate among young people. You know, high school and college students in particular had, had seen their volunteering rates stay pretty steady in the, over this time period. Where you saw it is in the 25 and over population, which made us kind of nervous because in every aspect of society, you know, whether it's the workforce or civil society, there's always some amount of generational replacement going on. And you hope that the young people of today will grow up to sort of fulfill the same role that people in midlife are filling today. You hope that the next generation is going to at least hit that mark in terms of their contributions. But that's one thing that we saw, that after a while, once people got to the point where they were in midlife, to the point where they were supposed to have the, the highest volunteering rates, that's the age group where we started seeing, seeing the biggest declines. Maybe more notably, when we look at the U.S. volunteer rate and try to isolate the places where the decline was the greatest, it was by and large not in cities. It was in the suburbs and it was in rural areas. And the thing about that is that those suburbs and rural areas are the places where the volunteering rate has historically been the highest. So the people who are supposed to be doing the most volunteering are seeing some of the biggest declines in their volunteering rates. And the people who live in places where volunteering is supposed to be the most prevalent have seen the biggest declines. Those are the types of things that really kind of gave us pause when we started thinking about what's going to happen in the near future. Thank you again very much, Dr. Nathan Dietz, a senior researcher at the University of Maryland's Do Good Institute, for all of this valuable insight into volunteerism trends and kind of how the pandemic is impacting the world of volunteering. Thank you, Mike. Thank you again to Sarah Leto, Engagement Coordinator at the ALS Association's Iowa Chapter, and to Dr. Nathan Dietz, Senior Researcher at the University of Maryland's Do Good Institute. Fascinating conversation and look into the world of volunteerism here during National Volunteer Week. And we wanted to take this opportunity to send a thank you to our volunteers. The ALS Association, like many nonprofits, relies heavily on volunteers. And so thank you to those of you who have volunteered in the past, those of you who are continuing to engage during these times, and those of you who are itching to get back into the volunteer opportunities when the quarantine starts to wind down. That's right. Thanks for mentioning that, Jeremy. I totally agree. We simply need the support. And 
generosity of volunteers to fulfill our mission. So thank you to many of you out there that give your time and talents to causes like ours. We will be back next week with another episode of Connecting ALS. In the meantime, be sure to listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts or at connectingals.org. And find and follow us on Facebook and Twitter if you would, so you can give us feedback on the show. We, we want to hear from you. This episode was produced by Garrett Tiedemann of the ALS Association's Minnesota, North Dakota, South Dakota chapter. Thank you all for listening, and we will connect with you again soon. Music.